Amen. Thank you so much for joining us online. My name is Buzz, and I'm one of the pastors here. And it is an immense privilege, I think, to center around the community of the scriptures as a church family. And I'm glad that you're here joining us. You know, it's a privilege to be invited into Christ's family, and it's a privilege to even sing in worship. And I love focusing on how great and how majestic and how holy that God is, how exalted he is. And for me, when I think about God, that's a concept that's fairly easy for me to grasp, that God is greater than me. Uh, But what's not as easy, uh, for me at least, is to think about how God is near to us and close to us, that he is a humble king who serves us. It's not as easy for me to think of God as being a servant as it is for, him, for me to think about him being holy and majestic. And so I don't know about you, but that's how I think about God. It's easy to think of him as holy. It's hard for me to think about him being uh, a servant. But that's what we're going to be talking about today as we continue our Aftermath series. We're going to see what God might be calling us to be about this whole series as we rebuild our lives here in 2021. And today we're going to be about humility, about service. Asking the question, how can we have the humility of Christ exhibited in our walk with him? But humility is a bit of a tricky term, isn't it? And so we use it in a lot of different ways. So let me ask you, what do you think humility means? Take a minute and really think about it. What do you think humility means? You know, this value is one, I think, that is countercultural in many ways, especially for those of us here in the United States and perhaps even especially for those of us here in California. What does it mean to be humble, truly humble? One way I like to think about definitions is to think about what something's not, maybe the opposite of something. So we might ask ourselves, what's the opposite of humility? We're trying to get at what the scripture teaches us. What do we want to avoid, right? And so here I think it's fairly clear that pride is the opposite of humility. And I love what Tim Keller says about pride. He says that pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. It's deadly. I love this image that Keller brings up because carbon monoxide, you can't see it, you can't smell it, you can't taste it, but it kills you all the same. That's how pride can seek in. So then is humility just avoiding pride? Man, one way that this noxious poison can mess with our definitions of humility is when you're actually being proud, but you want to pretend that you're not and deflect it away. Have you, have you seen something like this? You know, people might say something like, I'm so honored to win my 50th award. Hashtag humbled. You know, Pastor Danny told me today he wants to start a social media campaign where people can post their most humble actions and whoever gets the most likes wins, right? This is a false humility, a false pride because that's not what Christ calls us to be about. Is humility just being really good at sneaking your self-centeredness in the back door when really you want to be at the center of what you're doing? I've seen that a lot of times, and perhaps in our effort to avoid this pride, we go the other way. We think that humility really means that you can't have any good things, all you can do is suffer, that you deserve nothing. And in this definition, humility might mean that you have to think that you are dirt. In other words, if you have anything good to think about yourself or anything in your life to be positive about, you're not really being humble. You know, I've seen this also. Sometimes people do the old compliment fishing, right? So for example, I could go on social media after the sermon and say like, man, my sermon was garbage. And I hope that you would post something like, no, it wasn't. It was amazing. So blessed, right? And then my false humility actually is a way of backdooring my pride. We're very good at this. We're very tricky people, right? 
This is the humility that says that you shouldn't take pride in your appearance or seek to do your best because to look nice or to achieve something is somehow inherently against humility. And this concept, I don't think it gets there either. Humility is not just false pride and humility is not an inaccurately low view of your own worth. And so today I wanna suggest to you that humility in the way that the Bible teaches it is seeing ourselves rightly in light of Christ. Humility is, in part, seeing ourselves rightly in light of Christ. Wouldn't it be great if there was a way that life could put a rating on you to see where you stood? They could just assign you a value to see how gifted you are, tell you what you should be doing with your life, and how you can best benefit those around you. Wouldn't it be nice if there was just like a computer you could plug yourself into and then get some sort of printout about how you can see yourself clearly? And when we're stuck between that ditch of false pride and faux humility on the right and the left, this printout really could help us, you know? And so one way that I've learned to prove to myself objectively where I stand, to see myself rightly in these last few months is when my friends tricked me, my friends, right? They tricked me into playing chess with them online. Have you heard about chess? It's gonna be big, right? It's a very easy game. Even my six-year-old can play, but it's an impossibly hard game because you could give your whole lifetime to this discipline and still not make grandmaster. So hopefully the great folks at the Chess Federation have come up with a way that no matter who you are, no matter what your level, you get a rating. They assign you a number to tell you just how good you are, or in my case, how not good you are. So if you win the games, you earn points. If you lose games, you, learn, you lose these points. And so with the advent of computer analysis, you can actually see, even in the middle of your game, how good or how poorly you're doing, and then you can look after the fact and depressingly see what better moves could have been. And so in this way, chess is turning from a subjective discipline to an objective one. We can see each player clearly and rightly, analytically, and know through the numbers who's good and who's bad. And so maybe life can't yet rate us and where we stand in light of Christ, but the chess engine certainly can rate you. And so I have given you some helpful examples to look at on your screen. So this first one, if we can pull it up as an example from a game against my friend Alejandro. And you can tell he's a great player because his avatar there at the top left of your screen is a generic pawn. Anybody that doesn't change their profile picture to me is a hero. So I don't know if you're a chess fan or not, but I'm playing the white pieces. So Alejandro's playing black and you see a little star by his king. That's the most important piece. If you capture the king, you win. And that star means he has made the best move according to the computer. But along the left, you see that white bar rising towards the top. That's how well the computer thinks I'm doing, and I'm at like 95% to win. This is unbelievable. I've never beaten Alejandro, like my, my blood pressure's getting high. It's very exciting. All I have to do is not screw it up. I'm gonna win the game, 95% according to the computer. So I'd like to share my infinite wisdom with you, and so if we can go to the, to the next photo. You see those double red question marks by that little horsey guy? That means that I have blundered. This is what the chess community says. There is a monumental mistake. My opponent got a green star, I got the double red question marks. And remember that evaluation bar there along the side? How it used to be 95% me and now it's 95% the other way? Man, I don't even know how somebody could make such an amateur move to go from something monumentally amazing to monumentally crippling all in the space. And the computer does not let you escape. It sees you rightly, it sees you clearly, and you have to face your mistakes and look them full in the face, win or lose. I could say 
I'm better than my friend at chess. But the computer shows me I'm not better. I lose. And my rating goes down. And so my life is not like chess. I'm aware of that. And I'm not really wishing for a printout to numerically show us where we stand. So I think all that would do is cause us to compare ourselves one to another even more than we already do. But what I am saying is that if we want to be like Jesus Christ, we have to see ourselves clearly and how far we fall short. We also have to see Jesus Christ clearly and how he behaves. And if we do, we'll see that Jesus Christ is our model for humility. Jesus, who is perfect, who is God in human form, even he showed us how to be humble, how to serve, and how to behave. And so let's read our key text for today, which is Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. So I'll read it for us. It says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or, or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Do not look to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." And this has been one of my favorite passages of scripture ever since my time as a college intern at Heartland Community Church in Kansas City, Kansas. Every intern had to learn this passage by heart and try to employ these principles in our ministry. And so I learned a few key things that summer, with perhaps the first thing being that here Paul assumes that we have encouragement from Christ. You see that here in verse 1, that Paul assumes that we have this encouragement from Christ. So if I'm right, that humility entails seeing yourself clearly, just like the chess computer sees you in the Bible, if it reads us clearly, then verse one is good news for us because Paul is saying here, we do have encouragement from being united with Christ. As his followers, we've received so much. There are so many benefits to being a part of his family. We're not like that faux humility, less than dirt. We're not less than nothing. We're not beyond hope. We're not beyond redemption. And on the contrary, We here are encouraged and comforted and united and given tenderness and given compassion. And if this was our chess rating, so to speak, we'd be in great standing, wouldn't we? It's like we've already won the game before we even got started. You know, this is like when I first joined that chess website, chess.com. Like, subscribe, ring that bell, question mark. I had a 1,200 rating, which is pretty good. Like, that's an intermediate. You could compete at a tournament. You could win. And I thought, oh, wow, what respect chess.com has shown me. They must have known that I used to play when I was a kid and my dad gave me a book about chess and that I even won a couple games at indoor recess during sixth grade. They know the respect that I must be due as a true gamer. You know how the internet knows everything about you? They must know that I am really good, right, and given me this rating. But in truth, they just gave it to me because I was a new sign-up and that's where you start. They just handed it to you. I didn't earn it. You know, in the same way, we're just gifted these things in our union with Christ. We didn't earn them. We don't deserve them. But we have them, and that's worth reflecting on and being grateful today, isn't it? Jesus has comforted us with his love and invited us in. 
we have something really, really good, and we can tell the truth about that, even as we're humble. But what are you going to do about these blessings that God has put into your life? What are you going to do about it? Should we sit on our gifts and hoard them, or maybe we should squirrel them away and hide them from the world, just in case we misplace them? Should we hang on tightly instead of sharing gifts with our brothers and sisters? Maybe we'll run out someday. Is it possible that these good gifts will expire? You know, as I continued playing more and more chess online, something remarkable happened. That 1,200 rating that I started with began to slowly move down. Because as you lose games, you lose rating. And over and over again, I would lose, and I would do something entirely predictably bad, just like I've shown you at the beginning. And over and over again, they would update my rating until I was all the way down in the 800s, which is like a beginner rating, maybe for like a sixth grader. Can you believe it? 800, down from 1,200. By contrast, like a grandmaster is something like 2,800 or 3,000, so I'm like a third as good as the best players. It almost was better to not have even played, because that way I still could have been rated intermediate. I wouldn't have had to been exposed as a beginner. I should have hoarded my points. But that rating would have been a lie, wouldn't it? If I can't actually win any games, I'm not any good. I am a beginner. No matter the label I put on myself, the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. It's what you do, it's how you succeed. And that's what Paul says here in verse two, that if we have these benefits from following Jesus, we've got some work to do. We have to produce some results. That's the work of uniting. It's the work of seeing others as better than ourselves. It's this work of giving our blessings away and sharing the bounty we have in Christ with everyone. It's the work of being one in spirit and in one purpose to be totally about the work of the kingdom. It's no good to hoard these blessings. You have to do something about it. You have to value each other as Christ valued us, to have that same mindset towards each other as Jesus has towards us. And that is a high calling. So if we're gonna see ourselves rightly and if we're gonna see ourselves clearly, we have to embrace that we, as members of Christ's family, both have inestimable value and inestimable worth. And as members of Christ's family, we have a responsibility to serve one another as if they are better than us. One of the marks of true humility then is to give yourself away. This is Paul's point, I think, here in verse five that Jesus gave himself away for us. I think that's really Paul's basic point as he starts this next section. It's almost like a hymn of praise in verses five through 11, that if Jesus isn't too good to serve, you certainly aren't too good to serve. If Jesus isn't too good to serve, we certainly aren't too good to serve. I mean, think about that. Jesus Christ, even though he was God in human form, he didn't take a hold of his rights, protect what is his, and squeeze tightly onto that prominence that his divinity told him that he deserved. No, he let go of that prominence, emptied himself, humbled himself, and became a servant. Just like the Gospel of Mark says, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we think the benefits of being united with Christ are enough I don't want to serve. I don't want to give it away. I might run out. We're not modeling the humility and character of Jesus. Or if you think, I don't want to serve and value others because I might lose what I have, then we're not living and serving like he did. We're like the person sitting on their chest rating and not playing any games because you're worried about losing your points, but in reality, you're just living a lie. 
A life lived for oneself, tight-fisted and self-focused, isn't a life lived like Christ at all. If he served, certainly we're not too good. And if we live like Jesus did, we'll be on safe ground, won't we? This is sort of like when I had to look in the mirror and grapple with my 800 chest rated self and decide, I don't want to lose games to my friends anymore. I'd like to get better. So I watched some YouTubes while doing dishes. I looked at some opening patterns from the chess greats. I coached myself against my children, you know, and I decided to copy what the greats did. If I wanted their results, if I wanted their status, if I wanted to play like them, then I should move like they move, you know? So I followed some content creators and I thought if I can just do this like they do, I'll have it all sorted out and very quickly. And I found, however, that just watching somebody do something great on the internet is a lot more difficult than being able to do it yourself. Right, it's easy to know that you shouldn't lose your queen, or it's easy to know that you shouldn't make a dumb move, but you still are out there on the board being exposed. So the answer is clear, right, in both chess and in life, to live and move like the greats. So if you want to be better at humility, then just live like Jesus did. Super easy, right? It's like saying in chess, the best thing to do is checkmate their king. Easy to say, hard to do. People give their lifetimes to this discipline and they still don't make it all the way to master. It's gonna take a few more lessons on YouTube. It's gonna take commitment, it's gonna take practice, it's gonna take a calling and in the same way, if we give our lifetime to follow after Jesus and to do our best to serve and to give and to even give your whole life away like he did, man, this is the pursuit of a lifetime. You know, in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells us that whoever would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven should be the servant of all. But so often we think of that service, of that humility that service entails as, as a sort of like a temporary status, almost like a paying of the dues that you have to endure so that you can get back on top where you belong. Like after you serve, then you can come back up to leadership or after you serve, then you can come up and be visible. After you are humble, then you can come up and get the recognition that you deserve. We treat humility like I treat those chess YouTube videos as a quick and easy fix to put us back on the map and where you want to be in terms of status and in terms of your rating. But that's simply not the case. Like, humility and servanthood are lifelong goals, a status to be attained as a lifelong journey and a lifelong pursuit. They're not the means to the end, it's the end itself. Henry Nouwen called this concept the, the downward mobility of the kingdom, that whoever is the greatest is the servant of all, not in a temporary way, but in a lasting, everlasting way. That's what Jesus showed us, isn't it? That the servant of all, humbled to become a human, giving his life away, even to death on a cross, if we're going to see ourselves rightly and have humility that comes with it, we have to take the posture of the servant of all. There's no other way to live like Jesus. Because the truth is, the greatest in the kingdom really is Jesus himself. What this means is if you're trying to gain humility so that you can be great, you've got it completely backwards. But if you're trying to gain humility so that Jesus Christ can be made great, I think you're on the right path. It was my old missions professor used to say, there is one hero in our movement and you're not him. <laughs> Look at how Paul describes that same concept here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name which is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus will be lifted high. We won't be lifted high. And that's a good thing. (laughs) Or perhaps to put it a bit of a different way, we can follow Jesus into service, but we can't follow him into exaltation. We can follow Jesus into service, but we can't follow him into exaltation. At a certain point, our efforts to model Christ or to be like Christ or to do like Christ does or to move like he moves, even with the empowerment of the Spirit and the best intentions and practices and accountability and teaching, we all fall short. Only Jesus is holy, only Jesus is righteous, and only Jesus is good. So as I look at my chess career, and then I look at those grandmasters, at the YouTube streamers, and, and at those people who are so high above me, I have to realize I'm an amateur, I'm a beginner. I'm gonna stay that way. They're the greats, I'm a guy that plays with my kids in my house and lose to my friends online, and that's okay. I'm a beginning-rated player who loves the game, and I have to see myself rightly, and I have to make my peace with that. So in the same way, as we look rightly at ourselves, we also look rightly at Jesus Christ. He is the one high and lifted up, and he is the name which is above every name. We play our part as the servant, as the ambassador, and as his image bearer here in this earth, yes, but never as the Lord high and lifted up. You know, think about our position as a humble servant juxtaposed against God's greatness reminds me of Isaiah, this great prophet in the 8th century BC who caught a vision of God's glory, who kind of saw the full majesty of God revealed as he was called into ministry and he tells us about it in Isaiah chapter 6. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple and above him were seraphim, a type of angel, each with six wings and with two wings they covered their faces and with two their feet and with two they were flying and they called back and forth to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Man, when Isaiah saw that clear glimpse of who God was, he knew where he stood, a place of repentance, a place of needing mercy, and a place of complete surrender. Holy is the Lord, and woe is me. So if I'm right, like I talked about before, that humility is about seeing ourselves clearly, I think that's true, but I also think it's incomplete. Because we can't just look at ourselves, we can't just look at ourselves and those around us, we have to see ourselves in light of Jesus Christ and in light of God's glory. So maybe if we looked at it through Isaiah's eyes, we could put it this way. Humility is knowing your place, but humility is also knowing Christ's place. Humility is knowing your place, but it's also knowing Christ's place. So according to Philippians 2 then, what is our place? Our place is one of encouragement from being united with Christ. Our place is receiving comfort from his love. Our place is one of fellowship with the spirit, of tenderness, of compassion. It's a fantastic place. It's a great place. We should be thankful each and every day that we have that instead of that which we deserve. We have a rich and bountiful fellowship with Christ Jesus, and that is a good thing. 
Our place is also one of bringing that same bountiful fellowship to one another. Our place is to be like-minded. Our place is to have the same love. Our place is to be one in spirit and purpose. Our place is to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, certainly not in light of what Jesus has done for us. Our place is to have humility, to see ourselves rightly and to see others rightly and to value their needs as greater than our own. Our place is not to look only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. In short, the purpose of our humility is to be like Jesus. And as we serve one another, as we love one another, we'll become more like him. But the goal isn't to rule and reign as he does, because he's God and we're not. So rather, the purpose of our mission is to be humble, to serve, and to make him known. The purpose of our humility is to make Jesus known. Paul reminds us at the end of the passage here that every day, or one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will worship him. And so I wonder if we can find a way to live and serve and to give ourselves away so that others might see that way of life, that mode of being, that kingdom of heaven here in this earth, and therefore glorify our Father along with us. Not to us, but to him be the glory, because he is good and worthy of our praise. So humility is seeing ourselves rightly, humility is seeing Jesus rightly, and humility is serving like he did to bring him glory. So let me offer you two quick challenges today as we seek to take these truths from Paul and make them real in our actions and in our hearts and in our minds. And so, number one, I wanna ask you, how can you orient your life to see Jesus exalted this week? And we may not catch a glimpse or a vision like Isaiah did, but maybe there's a way that we can take some time in quiet prayer. Maybe this is a reflection back on your prayer journal and see how he's answered your prayers in the past giving him glory. Maybe this is in taking some time to commit this passage, Philippians 2, to memory and use this as a springboard to remind you of who Jesus really is. Maybe it's taking some time to worship in song in your home or in your car or with your family or maybe it's taking a walk outside in nature to glimpse out to the beauty of the ocean and be reminded how great God is. Or maybe take a look up at the night sky and remember that the one that hung those stars loves you deeply and richly and gave his life for yours. I promise you, if you take some time this week to fix your eyes on Jesus, it will help you see him more clearly and therefore yourself more clearly at the same time. You are very likely more creative than me. So whatever God is putting into your heart to do to make him great in your life, write it down and do it and put it into practice. Do something to put your eyes on Jesus and see him exalted this week. But I'd also like to encourage you to find a way to take your own eyes off of yourself and keep the eyes of others off of you. So how can you find a way to serve in secret this week? So number two, how can you find a way to serve in secret this week? How can you keep your right hand from knowing what your left hand is doing so you don't fall into that trap of false humility or false pride? Maybe you're being financially generous to someone this week. Maybe your neighbor needs some yard work. Can you do it? Do you know a single parent? Can you send them some food anonymously? Is there a task everybody hates at home, like maybe scrubbing out the fridge or cleaning out the freezer? Can you do that with no fanfare or expectation of thanks? Do you know a student away at college? Can you send them a note and a care box with no name? Do you know somebody starting a business or releasing a book or ramping up their product? Can you partner with them as a customer rather than a discount seeker so that they get the encouragement of their project going well? You know, here's we continue to shelter at home in Alameda County. You might have to get a bit tricky to serve unseen, but I believe in you. You can find a way. 
The aim, of course, is to put others before yourself and to put other people's interests before your own. Your aim is to bless people while lifting Jesus high, not yourself. Man, because it really is true that he's worthy of it all, isn't it? So I'd like to invite the band back up to help us offer that truth back to the Lord as we worship in song. You know, I've asked them to sing one of my favorite old hymns that I think helps encapsulate the truth that Jesus is high and lifted up, that he is exalted to the highest place, that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord and that he is holy. So let's go to him in prayer as we prepare our hearts and minds for worship.